Would you rather have a friend or an enemy? Enemy. Friend! Why would you rather have a friend than an enemy? Because I will have somebody to play with. Yeah. Yeah, and an enemy you can't really play with. Why would you want a friend? I would like a friend because I want someone to come and watch The Incredible Hulk with me. I'm, I'm terrified of that because I hate when he turns into the Hulk. But the Avenger Hulk, when he turns in there, doesn't scare me. Are you guys enemies? Yeah. <coughs> I don't know. Everybody You're the like... freakiest person I ever met in my life. <laughs> Even when he says that. It's not complicated. Friends are better than enemies. For inspiration on building godly relationships, look no further than The Life of David. Well, we are in a nine-week summer study of The Life of David, a man after God's heart, as he's described in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And what we're learning this summer is that pursuing the heart of God must be our highest priority, something about which we must be consistently passionate. Whether it's in seasons of obscurity, when you feel like a loser in life, David was undervalued by his father and his brothers, he was underestimated by King Saul, or maybe it's in seasons of victory when you feel like a winner. David prevailed in battle against Goliath, he was elevated in the nation of Israel as a hero. Maybe it's pursuing the heart of God in seasons of adversity when you're oppressed. King Saul became David's mortal enemy. And today we learn the importance of pursuing the heart of God with advocacy, when you feel supported. And Jonathan, Saul's son, became such a positive presence in David's life. And it's ironic to me that Saul was David's greatest adversary. And his son, Jonathan, was David's greatest advocate because the polar opposite of an enemy is a friend, someone you can depend on to be in your corner. And Jonathan was that person for David. But for a long time now, I have noticed, haven't you, that people are becoming increasingly isolated, increasingly detached. They're prone to go it alone in life. And it filters right on down to our daily routine. We bank online, so there's, there's no need to talk to a teller. And we pay for our gas at the pump, so there's no need to speak to an attendant. And we check out our groceries at a kiosk, so we don't need to interface with a cashier. And we have automated answering machines that take us through a series of voice prompts. And we respond by pressing buttons. And we text message instead of calling, and we drive up to a garage door that opens automatically and closes behind us, so, so our neighbors seldom ever see us, let alone converse with us. And we're more reclusive in our homes, glued to our televisions with their hundreds of cable channels, glued to our computers, glued to our electronic devices, limiting our time to invest in relationships. And today, would you believe we even have online churches? Online churches don't involve any human contact whatsoever. The U.S. Census Bureau revealed in 
2011 that 30 percent of all households in America are people living alone, and that's up from 17 percent in 1970. It's grown every year. All this to say, the norm is increasingly becoming independence, independence from anybody and almost everybody. But real friends, true friends are a gift from God. And they will make us better people. We were made to live in community, you know. We were not made to live in autonomy. We were not made to go solo through life. We need friendships. We need that bond of relationship. It's critical. It's particularly critical if we intend to aggressively pursue the heart of God. Samuel Johnson said, a real friend is one who will tell you your faults and failures in prosperity and will assist you with his hand and heart in adversity. Well, today I want to hold up the friendship of two men, David and Jonathan, as a model of the kind of relationships that we need to have in our faithful pursuit of God's heart. And my hopeful outcome is that today, if you don't have such a friendship, you will take some concrete steps, some measurable steps, some practical steps to extend yourself to someone or to someone's and develop these kinds of friendships. Maybe what you need to do is put yourself in a small group. Discipline yourself to get in a small group so your pursuit of the heart of God will be enhanced. Let's let Jonathan teach us by his example from God's Word. Take a look at it. Jonathan extended himself in friendship to David. He befriended David. It says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, it's clear in the text that Jonathan initiated this friendship with David. And that is amazing when you consider the fact that David had been anointed. He was destined to become the next king in Israel. He would take Saul's place, but Jonathan was Saul's son. David was actually going to take Jonathan's rightful place as heir to the throne. And yet, Jonathan initiated friendship with David, and he even went so far as to make a covenant with him. You saw it in the text. A covenant, cutting a covenant, is a formal, unbreakable bond between two people. It's an unselfish commitment to each other's welfare. So I wonder if this has ever happened to you, that you were just drawn to a friend. It seemed you'd known each other for a long time. If you had that chemistry, how do you develop these one-in-spirit friendships anyway? How can you gain more good friends, more godly friends? Well, Proverbs 18.24 answers the question for us. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Friendships like this bond between Jonathan and David are a great blessing from the Lord. And I've been blessed to have two such friends for nearly 50 years. And in fact, they are with us this weekend at Crossroads at my invitation. They're sitting right down front here. You'll get a closer look at them pretty soon. Here's a fairly recent picture of the three of us together. Uh, you've heard of the three musketeers. This is the three musty steers here. <laughs> And I, I really don't know what that doubled-up fist is all about. I, I think at the, at the time, um, 
We might have been a little too influenced by Arthur Fonzarelli of uh, Happy Days fame. But that's Dave Roadcup in the red shirt on your left. That's Dick Wamsley on uh, your right. And I've known these guys for 46 years. Dave and his wife, Karen, Dick and his wife, Dee, have been married for 46 years. And I roomed with each of these guys in Bible college. And I've warned them about sharing any stories of those days with any of you. I was best man in both of their weddings. We graduated from undergraduate school and from seminary together. And Dave's oldest daughter, Missy, is Mrs. Bill Altman. Bill is our small group's pastor. You just saw him in the baptistry. And Missy works part-time in our counseling ministry, and she's zeroing in on her master's degree in Christian counseling. Dick and Dee have two married sons, and would you believe it, their sons' names in order are Jonathan and David. And all three of us have served in both Christian higher education and in local church ministry. In recent years, we've become empty nesters, and so we've tried to get together more frequently for an annual three-day retreat, and it was just last month in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So I invited them to come this weekend because I want you to know that I am not urging something on you today that I have not done myself. Now, these guys will join me on the platform in a few minutes so you can hear from them personally about how our friendship has encouraged them to pursue the heart of God, and you'll be able to make the application to your own life and how such friendships will accelerate your pursuit of the heart of God. Now, the thing that bound Jonathan and David together is what we have in common, and that is the lordship of Jesus over our lives. Now, for David and Jonathan, it was, it was God's loving lordship. In our case, it is the loving lordship of Jesus. And it's wise. It illustrates to me that it's wise to choose your friends and your confidants from among believers because this spiritual connection is what matters most. The soul connection is what matters most in taking any relationship to the deepest possible level. So Jonathan befriended David. What else in our text? Well, Jonathan gave gifts to David. Look at verse 4, chapter 18. Jonathan took off his robe. He gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword and his bow and his belt. You don't have to beg a close friend for a favor, do you? And close friends are not stingy with their possessions. They would give you the shirt off their back, and that's literally what Jonathan did. Jonathan wanted to give David something that belonged to him, that was valuable to him. And what he gave David were his royal princely garments. And you see that it cost Jonathan something to be a friend of David. He sacrificed for David. And later, Jonathan would actually say to David in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, verse 4, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Now, that is... The mantra, either unspoken or spoken, of a close friend. Whatever you say, I'll do for you. No one keeps score because no one would take advantage. A true friend is there to help you whenever and in whatever way is needed. Well, Jonathan also defended David in chapter 19, verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. 
Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. So, Saul was determined to be David's enemy, and yet Jonathan, his son, stood up to his father and said, Dad, you're wrong about David. He not only defended his friend, but he also confronted his father for his attitude toward David. Now, this is a true friend. This is a true friend, one who does not talk critically or negatively about you behind your back. They may know your weaknesses and failures, but they never pile on. And in fact, they stand up for you when your name name comes up in conversation. There's no pettiness. There's no envy, no jealousy. Jonathan could have said, this kid David from the hills of Bethlehem, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't belong here. Instead, he stood in defense of David against his own father who was trying to take David's life. Well, Jonathan also allowed David the freedom to be himself. Chapter 20, verse 41, it says, David fell on his face to the ground. And bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Now, what you need to know is that the only men who have ever kissed me, and it was just on the cheek, are my dad and an unofficially adopted brother who is now deceased. And the only man I've ever kissed is my son. So this meeting between David and Jonathan feels just a little bit too dramatic for me. But hey, I was raised in America. I wasn't raised in the Middle East where men routinely exchange kisses on either cheek. And I've never been, I've never been in such a life and death situation. And if so, I might behave a little differently. This meeting was emotional because these two men thought it might be their last time to see each other. But I assure you, their friendship was wholesome, it was God-honoring, and it deepened the faith of both men. And remember this, David had this continual saga for over ten years of escaping and running and hiding. And so the stress and the heartache for David had to be overwhelming. It had to be accumulative. And so he wept. And he was broken. And when you're broken, you need a friend that you can bleed all over, like Jonathan was a friend to David, a friend that won't abandon you, won't correct you, won't just tell you, straighten up. So when a good friend is hurting, let him hurt. She needs to cry. Let her cry. If he wants to rant, let him rant. If she whines and complains, just listen. A close friend will not bail in your personal crisis. They'll stick with you. And you can be yourself around them, no matter what that self is like. Well, Jonathan was finally a constant source of encouragement to David. In fact, I kind of think this could be the umbrella over everything I've said and observed 
from Jonathan in our text this morning. He was a constant, consistent source of encouragement to David. And while David was at Horish, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David and helped him find strength in God. Other translations say Jonathan encouraged him in God. Perhaps more than anything else, Jonathan was a consistent source of encouragement to David. He was protective. He cared for David. He kept in contact. He stayed in David's life. And we all need this kind of encouragement. All of us. All of us need this kind of encouragement from time to time. Even Jesus asked his disciples, will you also go away? He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? He asked his disciples, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? And when Jesus healed the ten lepers, he asked, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jonathan sees David at the lowest point in his life, fearful, beleaguered, wandering through the wilderness, and he provides encouragement. Now, I want to call Dave and Dick up to the platform right now. I want you guys to join me over here in these seats. I want you to see them in the flesh. I want you to meet them personally. Um, I have known Dick since uh, he was 15 years old. We used to play basketball against each other. He played for Young America High School. I played for St. Joseph Ogden. And did I mention that we only lost two games my senior year? And neither of them was to Young America. But uh, I have huge respect for Dick. He is the oldest of, uh, in his family, five siblings, and he has been the faith branch grafted into his uh, family tree. I have huge respect for him that goes way back to when we were teenage kids, and I used to beat him in ping pong, and he used to throw his paddle at me uh, to get even. <laughs> and uh, Dave Roadcup... He and I met uh, freshman year in Bible college, and uh, I've tracked with these guys together through the years and uh, value them greatly, and I'm so glad they can be here to just uh, talk a little bit from their standpoint about the encouragement that uh, long-term friendship with a Christian brother brings. So let's sit, and uh, since Dave is the senior partner, he's the oldest of the three of us, I'll let him talk first. Good morning, Crossroads. It's wonderful to have the opportunity for Dick and I to be here with you all today, especially on the special day where this uh, special sermon is being preached. Uh, it is true, we met each other in the fall of 1965. Uh, I, I entered the picture at Lincoln Christian College. We were all there for our freshman orientation, and I, I know that neither of you remember this. This is really my very first memory. During freshman orientation, I went into the restroom one day at noon to brush my teeth, and I'm, and I'm positive these two guys were in there also uh, brushing their teeth, and uh, we had kind of, a, kind of a hygienic moment of meeting there, you know, in the men's room. And uh, it was interesting, from our very first connection and then seeing each other and beginning to hang out a little bit together, uh, I would just put it like this. There was just a chemistry uh, between us. And uh, we all loved the ministry. We loved preaching. We knew we were going into the church. Uh, we, were, we were there at school together. And there were just a number. We all loved sports. There were a number of things that drew us together. 
and began to create a friendship that has lasted now almost 50 years. The uh, point that uh, Pastor Ken made in his message today about the fact that when we're talking about fellowship and creating friendships, uh, it's really God's plan. You know, it's not just kind of a good sociological idea. In Scripture, it's very clear that God has laid out a plan. And the bottom line is this, that, that we are not as believers to be independent of one another, but we are to be inter interdependent upon each other. That, that really is God's plan. I wanted to share just a brief quote with you from an Italian philosopher I found a number of years ago that I've never forgotten. It says, he wrote and said, we are each of us angels with only one wing, and we can only fly by embracing one another. And I think that that's a good picture of the Lord's plan for us and what he wants. So I want you to know that friendship is important, that it's critical. I've had the wonderful opportunity to be involved in men's ministry at a fairly high level over the years and for the last 25 years have been working with men in churches and conferences, retreats. Uh, in all honesty, I've done 160, over 160 retreats in the last 20 years from California to New York, men's retreats. So I feel like I know men fairly well. And one of the things that I know about men after working with men for so long is this, that brothers, most of us as men, we have many, many acquaintances. You know, people at work, our neighbor, guys that we may play golf with, we have many acquaintances, but there are so few men who have really strong, deep, abiding friendships. You know, you know men, brothers, friends who would take a bullet for you I know for a fact, church, please listen to my heart today, I know for a fact that if I had any kind of uh, damaging, breaking, shattering event take place in my life, and I live in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area, I know that if I had that catastrophic thing come into my life, that with two phone calls, I know both of these brothers would be at my house literally within hours. I mean, I know that, you know. And, and that's, that's the kind of friendship we're talking about here today. It's the David and Jonathan level of friendship. So we just wanted to come today and say this idea of having deep friendships, especially based in Jesus Christ, is the example that David and Jonathan have given us. And we simply wanted to come to you today and say, if you haven't cultivated this in your life, not only is it God's plan, but I will tell you that, that, that it is one of the most wonderful parts of life, having friends that you know you can depend on, you know would be there for you at any time. It's really a very, very wonderful thing. I know that from us hanging out together, and, 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 um, and we, we, one of the things I love about our relationship is, is the humor that we share together. When we get together for our annual retreats, I mean, I, mean, I, I never laugh more than those three days that we're together. It's, it's really the truth. And <laughs> uh, I, I just, I'll tell you one time when I didn't laugh though, it was my wedding day and uh, both of these guys were in my wedding and uh, I, we were, it was time for us to start the service and we were at a place where we were all staying. So I, I just ran in and jumped in the shower Little did I know that while I was in the shower, these two guys got into my luggage, took all of my fruit of the looms out of my suitcase. And that, <laughs> that night when I got to the hotel, I, I had no BVDs. Uh, I was, 
I, I was briefless, you know, and uh, <laughs> so various things like that. I'm just telling you that the sense of humor, you know, the Bible talks about laughter is good for the heart, just like medicine, and, uh, and to have guys that you can laugh with, that you can cry with. Uh, whenever I have a really serious decision in my life, these two guys are on my personal board of directors, and I call both of them. And I say, you, you know me better than anybody else. Here's what's going on. Just think about it and call me back tomorrow and just tell me what you see. Uh, give me your viewpoint. And they're very faithful and very helpful, really, to do that. I know that my encouragement, you know, my support, uh, the love as brothers we share together, it's a very, very important thing in my life. And I will tell you today that it runs deep. It runs deep, you know. So I would just encourage you, you know, if today... You know, you have many, many acquaintances, but you don't have a lot of deep friendships. I think this is God's will for us. Really, this is what, what God wants. Let me just mention this one last thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to Dick. One of the things about friendship that we have to know is simply this, that if I want to have deep friends in my life, it's just like a marriage. It, it takes work, and, and I have to put out effort. And, and I have to reach out, and I have to pick up the phone, and I have to make the contacts, and, and, and we all drive to our annual retreat together. And uh, it, it takes you reaching out to touch other people if you, uh, if you want to cultivate that friendship. That's a very important part of friend building. So I just want you to know that I love these two brothers. If you've been in the Marines or the military or you've been a former policeman, you'll appreciate this comment. I want you to know today that I, I would take a bullet for both of these guys. I really mean it. That, that's how, de how deep our friendship goes. And so I just pray God's blessing on you and the fact that uh, God will bless you with many friendships like we're talking about here in the life of David and Jonathan. Dave, I'm glad you shared that story again, and I still laugh. I still laugh at it. It's, it, it, is, it is hilarious. But what he didn't tell you was he is a man of revenge. <laughs> and he, get, he, he remembers, and he gets it eventually. And I don't know how he did it with Ken, but with me, we lived beside each other in our last year or so of, of Bible college in, a, in, in the trailers. Dave and Karen's was about an 8x40 trailer, and I had the deluxe edition. It was 8x43. And he would, he would come over to my trailer at night, and the valve to our water was outside the trailer, and he would shut off our water so that when I got up in the morning to take a shower, there was nothing there. So uh, just be aware, if you get to know David very well, he, he might do that. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And after 50 years of being friends with this, these guys, I can attest to the truth of that text. The, uh, the cord of friendship, in our case, was, was carefully woven together in our Bible college years, but as we separated and, and got involved in busy ministries and raising families, we weren't able to get together, especially not like we are able to do now in the empty nest stage. Maybe a couple of days at the North American Christian Convention, but that bond of friendship was it always came back. It was always there. We can always count on it. And as T Ken intimated, my, my uh, journey through my teen years was a little different than Dave and Ken's. Uh, they were fortunate to be raised in a family of, with parents who had a solid marriage and who provided a stable home life. But in my case, 
uh, in my eighth grade, my parents divorced, and my memories, either before or after that, were uh, more like a chaotic home life. And so I came to Bible college with not much in the line of self-esteem or self-confidence, uh, but when I got to college and met these two guys, I mean, they were just overzealous over with their self-confidence. And <laughs> so, so, much so, so much so that we adopted a theme song for Ken from a popular song of that day made popular by Carly Simon. You're so vain, I can't, you probably think this song is about you. <laughs> but they were very gifted leaders with that, that kind of self-confidence. And they became to me what some would call incidental mentors. And uh, they, by, by being met incidental mentors, they were encouragers. And they encouraged me to consider how God had gifted me for ministry in ways that I would not have thought of on my own or considered on my own because of kind of that situation that I came to Bible college in. And they helped me become more self-aware of that giftedness. Friends need, I believe friends need to be encouragers. They're key encouragers for one another, but there are also times when they need to challenge each other when one is not acknowledging the obvious. And there was occasion when that happened to me when I was uh, at Nebraska Christian College. I'd been there for about seven, over seven years as dean of students. And our college president had been in that position for over 30 years, and he announced his retirement coming up. And the trustees approached me uh, to see if I would consider accepting uh, the president's role when he retired. Now, I had, I had thought about the possibility, our academic dean was also approaching retirement, and I had thought about the possibility of maybe accepting that position if it were offered. But I had never considered being president of the college. So, of course, I called Dave and Ken, as just as Dave said, those are among the first two I called in the decision-making process. And they, in so many words, encouraged me to consider the fact that even though I was a little doubtful of my abilities and my, uh, my skills to fulfill that position, that they reminded me that my path of preparation for this moment was preparing me for that time and preparing me for what they had asked me to do. And if the, if the trustees did not see something in me that they felt would be uh, valuable and, and necessary for this transition from a long presidency, they wouldn't have asked me. And so the end of the story is I did become the fourth president of Nebraska Christian College, and Ken was president of Ozark Bible College at that time, and, and uh, we, he also continued to mentor me in, in that relationship. But even though distance prevented us from getting together on a regular basis, there was always this unspoken sense of accountability to one another. And while I knew our bond was intact, I also had that sense that if I ever did anything that that uh, was, well, anything similar to what we, have, we perhaps had heard of our classmate, one of our classmates or, or uh, another pastor who had made a professional or moral blunder. Uh, if I even thought or considered of that, we had a pact between us that the others could come and give me a good kick in the rear and open up my eyes to what I might have even just been considering. That was our sense of accountability to each other. 
At the same time, when I faced a crisis, whether in my family or in my ministry, again, these were two of the first that I would call to seek prayer and to, uh, to give me, uh, provide for me that, uh, that encouragement. Because my wife, Dee, knew that we were coming here this weekend, she decided to read ahead in her devotional book for this weekend. And believe it or not, the devotion for July 27th today starts out this way with a text from Proverbs chapter, chapter 27, verse 10. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor, or what he means a friend, than to a brother who lives far away. And it continues, it says, a good friend is hard to come by. We make many acquaintances throughout life, but a friend who sticks with us through thick and thin is a special gift from God. As such, we should treasure the friends that we have. As counselors in times of need, our prayer partners, advisors, and friends can be used of God to teach and guide us. The Bible urges us to put the extra effort into these relationships to keep them going. We need a close group of friends who are also believers to support and pray for us. A tight-knit community is much harder for the enemy to break into. And although the proverb seems to imply that we should favor friends over family, it really just emphasizes the special nature of a close friend. Family will always be there, but close friends are the first level of defense and support in our lives, and we should treasure them as such. So I encourage you to treasure those friendships, especially the close ones, and to remember that while, as, as I think of it today, while I would have never thought 50 years ago that we would be sitting together on this st stage talking about what our friendships mean to us, there will be a time in the future when you will look back and thank God for those close friends and those relationships that you nurtured. And I thank God for the honor of sharing it today. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. Something else, uh, particularly you men, if you, uh, if you find some strong Christian brothers to do life with, you'll keep your hair into your 60s. <laughs> look, look at this. Tell him. Ken. Ken, if I could share one, one quick story also. I, I have to tell you all this. We didn't tell you this last night, but uh, Dick was president at Nebraska Christian College, and Ken was president at Ozark Christian College, and the presidents get together twice a year for a meeting, so they were together. I was preaching in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, this is a little bit of a revelation, but when two of us are together and the other one isn't, we call the other one about 11.30 or 12 o'clock at night, and tell them it's the secretary to um, uh, some world leader who wants to talk to them. And these, these guys woke me up at midnight, and they said, hey, we're here at the president's meeting. You know, Dick is in charge of Nebraska, and Ken has Ozark. They said, we were just calling to find out when you're going to grow up and get a college of your own. <laughs> well... This, uh, this was fun for us, but there, there are some deep truths um, that we want to take away today, and that is how important it is for us to be connected to one another as a church family, as Christian friends, uh, in our small groups, we need each other, 
We need to count on each other, depend on each other, and have our hearts knit together like David and Jonathan. And so uh, I don't know how you need to act on this decision. Todd read a passage of Scripture earlier that said that, that we have an advocate with the Father. That's, that's the reason why we seek to, to advocate for one another in the body of Christ because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. But some of you have never actually accepted the initiation of the friendship of Jesus. He is, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The best friend that you have is Jesus Christ. And if you haven't received him as your Savior and Lord, we want to close this morning with a time of commitment. If you have a decision to make about crossroads, getting in the church, getting in relationship with other believers, we invite you to come. Our section hosts will be there to receive you. There will be one or two of us here at the front while we stand together and worship in a final song.